There's a line in that. There's a line in that song that says that angels bow before him. If you want to see the mightiness of God, like consider that every time an angel showed up in Scripture to a human being, the human normally was met with fear every time. I mean, we would see angels. You know, we we think of angels as that little cute little cupid running. It's not an angel in the scriptures. When an angel showed up, men wet their pants. They dropped to the floor. But yet, in the song, we see that angels are bowing before a mighty God. What a mighty God that we serve. Well, David said in Psalms 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall be standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. I'm excited this morning to be able to gather, this afternoon to be able to gather with the people of God. You want to look at your neighbor and just say, I'm excited to see you this this afternoon. Amen. Tell somebody else, I'm excited to see you today. Come on, you can't tell them you're excited and not be excited. Amen. Well, you know, some people, some people, some people get excited about Super Bowl, and I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, and some people get excited about the Grammys, which was last week. But then there's another group of us that get excited when it's time to dig into the Word of God. Anybody love the Word of God? Amen. Well, why don't you guys help me out? I'm trying to be more disciplined and cut out the small talk in the beginning and get right to the Word. So you guys help me out and meet me in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 is where we will be this afternoon. It's the second book of the Bible if you're searching around, if you have no familiarity with the scriptures. If you go to Genesis, go to the next book, Exodus 32 will be there. As you're turning there, um, let let me just make this quick statement uh, to lead us into our time, into the word. I, I don't think that many people, even confessing believers in here, those that have trusted in Jesus, most of us will never audibly say out of our mouth that we have other gods besides Jesus that, that we would call functional saviors. Most of us will never like audibly say that, but yet our lives show that there are things that we would consider as functional saviors. We say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is master, but we have Jesus and he's on par with a few other things in our life that all fight for our attention. And this afternoon, what the scripture is going to show us through Exodus 32 It's going to show us, it's going to expose, but ultimately it is going to crush those uh, functional saviors in our lives, those little gods with the little G. So if you can meet me in Exodus 32, pick me up in verse number one. Four simple verses we'll work through today, and then I'll let you guys go. Verse number one says this, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, you should underline this next phrase. The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in, your e- in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Verse 4. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I simply want to preach from a two word topic entitled golden gods. Let us pray. Father, this morning, this afternoon, we do realize our deep and desperate need of you. We need you moment by moment and second by second. And, And this moment doesn't 
isn't different. We need you now in order to read, to understand, and to unpack your word. So, Father, would you meet us like you do every single week? You need no invitation to be present. Uh, but, Lord, us, us asking you and inviting you in, we're really saying soften our hearts so that we could receive you, so that we could receive your presence, so that the word of God could penetrate our hearts. So many of us in this room have functional saviors. Again, Lord, we will not audibly say it. If you ask anybody in this room, we'll always say, Jesus is my all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king, but then we'll run out of here and other things will be our God. And here's the crazy thing, Lord. Most of the time, they're good things. But Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this morning, that you would expose those areas in our lives this morning. Some of the doors that you've opened, would you expose how we've made them ultimate? We've made them better than you. I pray that you would expose those things and challenge us this morning. Ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts and our eyes to Jesus Christ. I pray that Jesus would be seen and heard from the text this morning. And I pray that we'd be able to walk out of here and celebrate him. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. May the gospel be boldly proclaimed. May it encourage the believer and save the lost. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Golden gods. Uh, some of you have heard my conversion story. I've shared it a few times here. I've shared it personally with some of you. Uh, but there I was sitting in the parking lot of a church that I was attending, uh, was going through a religious cycle, was extremely legalistic, was extremely religious, but did not know Jesus. And the Lord led a friend to me to share the gospel with me. It was late at night. It was, it was a late service. And uh, we got out of church and I got into the parking lot and a friend just came to me. and was like, man, let me talk to you about Jesus in a, in a very aggressive manner. Now, you might think that this was just a nice little evangelistic moment, but it was not. It was an argument. He was sharing with me how I was justified by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. And I, I kid you not, man, I stand here as your pastor telling you, I legitimately was saying the gospel is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. He would begin to share with me and unpack how my works didn't save me. Took me to two passages, Acts 15 and Galatians 3, and worked me through, uh, pulling me from being my own savior. And in God's humor and his irresistible grace, I didn't get saved in that moment. Well, I did get saved in that moment. At least I didn't know it. It was later on that week that I was reading the scriptures and trying to discredit everything he was saying. And in reading the scriptures and trying to discredit him, God saved me. God said that conversation that you had, that was the gospel that needed to save your soul. Now, when I first got saved, I was undiscipled, but I, I had an insatiable thirst for the scriptures. I don't know why I can't explain it. I just could not put down my Bible. I would spend at least eight to nine hours a day just opening up my word. I supposed to be at work, supposed to be working. I'd have my Bible, I had a little Bible inside my drawer and I'd open it up and I'd read the scriptures on the side. And I don't know why, again, I was undiscipled, but, and I needed somebody to, I had questions that I had no answers for, but all I knew was I wanted to eat and drink this word all day long. And, you know, one of the things I found out when I was reading the Old Testament into the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament seemed very different than the God of the New Testament. So when I would read the Old Testament, I would feel like the God of the Old Testament was a, a, a covenant of, of law and of rules. And then I would read the New Testament, I'd see a God of grace and a God of mercy. Again, I was very immature in my thinking and in, in, it wasn't long until I started to read the Old Testament, and then I started to realize, man, I love the Old Testament. Not only do I love the Old Testament, but 
I value the Old Testament, and I even resonate with the Old Testament. And the reason that I resonate with the Old Testament, and you probably should resonate with the Old Testament as well, is because in the Old Testament, what we see is our story of un- unfaithfulness to God and his relentless pursuit of you. Make no mistake about it, the Old Testament is a story of God's faithfulness to unfaithful people. The Old Testament is a story of God's mercy to people that always find ways to mess it up. The Old Testament is a problematic story of a God that always takes care of us, yet we refuse to say thank you to him. The Old Testament is a story of a God that wants the best for us, but we settle for knockoffs from Canal Street. Now, I don't know if you've picked this up yet, but I'm no longer talking about the Old Testament, but I'm talking about your story. Because we always, always, always find creative ways to, to stray away from a good, a merciful, and a faithful God. And in the Old Testament, that is what we see. Let me put some scripture here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says this about your faithfulness and God's faithfulness. This is what it says. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. God's wrath is always steadied by his heart of mercy. And if you want evidence, if you want proof that God's heart of wrath is steadied by his hand of mercy, his heart of mercy, if you want proof, look no further than the fact that you are sitting in church on a Sunday afternoon despite the fact that you were unfaithful on Saturday. You are sitting in church on a Sunday afternoon despite the fact that you had an unfaithful week. But yet, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God looks down and says, mercy on us. And, you know, the one that has truly grasped this idea, that is the one that you don't have to pump into into prime in order to worship the Lord. I want to add to your thinking because what we don't normally do when it comes to worship is we think about how good God has been. And I don't want to take that from you. You should think about how good God has been. But to really stir worship, don't just think about how good God has been. Think about how trifling you've been. And in the midst of your trifling, he says, mercy. In the midst of you being trifling, he says, grace. And if you want to see the definition of trifling, and you want to see the definition of unfaithfulness, look no further than Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. Let me put in context where we are, because it's it's important that we don't just drop into Exodus 32 and read it out of context. So to give some context to where we are, the children of Israel have been been in bondage under the Egyptian rule. God comes down to a man named Moses uh, by speaking to him out of a burning bush that was on fire but wasn't being consumed. I'm skipping some stuff here, but Moses says after some back and forth with the Lord, he says, all right, I'll go. He goes to Pharaoh, and he's a one-trick pony. He goes with one single sermon, let my people go. You guys know the story. You guys have seen the prince of Egypt. Well, Pharaoh doesn't listen. The Bible says that Pharaoh's heart is hardened to what Moses is saying. And so he does not listen. And so God says, you know what? If he's not going to listen, I'm going to send down 10 plagues. The 10th plague being that the death angel will come and get every firstborn if the blood is not over the door. That will preach in and of itself by itself. But the Ten Commandments, after the Ten Commandments and the last commandment being, I'm going to kill every firstborn. Finally, Pharaoh was like, and I'm paraphrasing from the Be Watch translation. He literally says, this is what he says in my translation. Y'all ain't got to go home, but y'all got to get out of here. And then Israel begins to leave Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, you guys know the story. They get to the Red Sea. 
And they get to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are behind them, and God does a miracle. He parts the Red Sea. And if you think that's the greatest miracle in the parting of the Red Sea, that's not the greatest miracle. You know what the greatest miracle of the parting of the Red Sea was that he parted it, and they walked on dry ground. Like, it's one thing if he parts it and they walk on mud, but he walked. The Bible says that they parted, that God parted the Red Sea, and they begin to walk on dry ground. They walk, and they make it across the Red Sea. The Egyptians jump in and try to follow them, and the Bible says that the Red Sea swallows up the Egyptians. Then God performs many miracles. He gets water to come out of a rock. He feeds the children of Israel six days out of seven. He feeds them six days manna from on high, thus showing that he provides And then God does something great. He calls Moses up to Mount Sinai to have a conversation with him. And when he calls him to Mount Sinai, he gives him what we all know as the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, I know he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, but Moses never gave them to Israel. Exodus 24 is where I'm at now. Finally, Moses comes back from Mount Sinai. He tells the children of Israel the Ten Commandments that God had told them. And when he tells them the Ten Commandments, the Bible says in Exodus 24 that the people said, we agree. They agree with the Ten Commandments. Here's the crazy thing. Eight, eight, eight chapters later, they rebel. Eight chapters later, they break the commandments. So what God does is after Moses gives these Ten Commandments, he calls Moses back up to Mount Sinai. Moses comes back up to Mount Sinai. He gives him a long list of requirements. And crazy thing is one of the requirements that he gives him for the children of Israel is that he wants some of their gold. The same gold that they made a golden calf with, God said, I want some of that. But in the midst of Moses being on Mount Sinai, God sees what the people, the children of Israel are doing. He tells Moses to go down. The people are acting crazy down there. Get back down there. And so we pick up our story where Moses is on Mount Sinai talking to the Lord. And Aaron is, or, or as some of you may know him as Aaron, is, is, sitting on the mount, is sitting down below and he's talking to the people. Some of y'all saw that video. He's talking to the people. Y'all have no time for jokes today. Verse 1. Verse 1, look at what happens. So that's where we are in the story. Moses is at Mount Sinai getting a long list of requirements and restrictions for the people of God. Aaron is in charge. Pick me up in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together with Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Moses has been on Mount Sinai for so long. That the people are sitting there wondering if Moses, like, did he die? Where's he at? Maybe he's deserted us. Maybe he's gone. And what's interesting is that they associate Moses being gone with God being gone. They feel like God isn't even their God anymore. Moses has left us, and now we are sitting here without a God. And so in an attempt to repeal and replace God, what they decide that they're going to do is make us another God. Moses is gone, therefore God is gone, so let's take this opportunity to make ourselves of God. It's important for you to note that the the children of Israel would have noticed the rhythms of Moses. What do I mean by that? Stay with me. Every time Moses goes to Mount Sinai, he always, always, always comes back with a list of law. He always comes back with restrictions. He always comes back with rules. And so the children of Israel see this as an opportunity. I don't have to submit to these rules anymore. Let me make my own God. Because in making your own God, 
what you, were, what you were really doing is making a God that you can control. When you make your own God, what you are doing is making a God that you do not have to submit to his rules. Can I suggest to you, those of you in here that have golden gods, those of you in here who have functional saviors, really what you're doing is your struggle is not the fact that you want another God. Your struggle is that you don't want to submit to the one and true living God. That's the real reason why you make other gods, because I do not want to submit to his law. I do not want to submit to his rules. I do not want to submit to his restrictions. And so what we do is make ourselves of God. And can I suggest to you that in making a God, really what you're doing is not making yourself another God. You're making yourself God. That's what the children of Israel were doing. They were making a God. It was a bellhop God that they didn't have to follow. They didn't have to. They could be in control over this God. And can I promise you the worst God you can have for you is you. You're the worst God for yourself. I can promise you that. You know, you know why you're the worst God you can have for yourself? Because you're limited in your vision. Like you don't like you can't see into like, you know, this afternoon we're going to have a, a little celebration. We're going to have a, a Super Bowl party. And here's what I know. You may have on your mind. I plan to come, but you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Here's the thing. God doesn't only know he's in this afternoon already. God's already God already knows who wins the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's going to win. I'm just saying, you know, y'all can't ever count Tom Brady out. God already knows who's going to win. God already knows this afternoon. Why? Because he's not limited in his scope. He's not limited in his vision. I have an app on my phone called Waze. I don't know if you have that. W-A-Z-E. It's, it's a GPS app that helps me to get from point A to point B. I don't know how we functioned in life. Remember Mac, MapQuest? You had all them papers in the car like this. I don't know how we didn't get in accidents back then. You know, but now we have apps on our phone. So I, had a, I have an app on my phone called Waze. When I was in Philadelphia, I was doing a pastoral residency before I came up here at our mother church. And when I was there, what part of my responsibility was to take care of guest preachers or guest pastors when they would come in town to preach, I would take care of them. And so uh, there was one guest that came in. He was familiar with the church. But more importantly, he was familiar with Philadelphia. Now, his hotel was in Center City or downtown, if you will. The church is in North Philly. To get from South Philly to North Philly, it is a straight shot up broad. All you got to do is go up broad, and it's a straight shot. Well, the pastor gets in my car, and he laughs at me because when he gets in, I pull up ways. And when I pull up ways, I, I, you know, put the address in my phone. He's like, what are you doing? Don't you know how to get? It's just get on broad. And I said to him, I said, you know, but ways see some things ahead that I don't see. And so when I put the address on my phone, it started to take me on a detour. It took me off abroad, and it took me on some side streets. And as I'm riding on these side streets, he's laughing until I turned on the radio. When I turned on the radio, we found out that there was an accident up broad. Waze saw the accident. I never saw the accident. Not only does Waze see accidents, but Waze can tell you where the cops are. Amen, somebody. Ways can tell you where debris is in the road. Y'all ever been riding? It'd be like debris ahead. You gotta, you know, and it'd be accurate too. It'd be a little teeny wee twig in the in the street. You be like, how ways see that? <laughs> ways has vision that's far beyond you. That is what it's like when you make yourself a god. When you make yourself God, you're still sitting in South Philly, not knowing. But when you allow God to be God, He can give you direction. And here's what I know: if you can trust ways. On your phone, W-A-Z-E, you should be able to trust God's ways 
W-A-Y-S. So in our text, the Bible shows us that the children of Israel do not trust God's ways. And so they say, you know what? I'm going to pull out my phone and put in my own GPS and I'll be my own God. And you are always a horrible God. Not only do they make themselves God by making this golden calf, they idolize Moses in a very unhealthy way. Look back at the text with me. Verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, I told you to underline this. This is how they viewed Moses. The man who brought us up out of Egypt. Like, wait a second. You really think that Moses brought you out of Egypt? You really think that Moses caused ten plagues to come down? Do you really think that Moses parted the Red Sea? Do you really think that Moses provided for you by giving you manna and giving you water? Do you think that Moses is really that dude? Moses is not that dude. Moses was used by a powerful God. But in our text, they confuse Moses with God. Which is why when it's time, you know, to, to, they see that Moses is gone, they don't, they don't get an interim Moses. They don't say, Aaron, can you lead us? No, what do they do? We need a God because they, Moses was filling that role for Israel. And it's dangerous. More than, more than the danger of making yourself God is making another man a God over you. Listen to me. Men make bad gods. I, you know, and we do that within marriage. Within marriage, we idolize our spouse in an unhealthy manner, and we put unrealist, unrealistic expectations on them. And we ask them to fulfill roles that only God can fill. Listen to me, I love Ty. Nobody, I love Ty. I can tell her everything. I know she has my best interest at heart. She makes a great wife, but she'd make a horrible God. And don't you ever allow a spouse to be your God. And here's the crazy thing. Some of us do that not even with spouses, with boyfriends and girlfriends. He loved me, so I'm going to make him ultimate. She loves me, so I'm going to make her my God. And we won't functionally say that, but that's how we live. That's how we operate. In our text, they put Moses in an unhealthy place. And let me also say as your pastor, don't put me in that place either. Thank you so much for your honor. First uh, Timothy 5.17 says, let the ruling elder who rules well be counted worthy of double honor. So uh, listen, I'm, I don't want to take that. Thank you. But let me tell you something. If you put me in the place of God, you put another pastor in the place of God, I can promise you you'll be disappointed. Because I am kneeling at the foot of the cross next to you. There is no special place in heaven for me. I am in the same place kneeling, worshiping Jesus Christ. But yet they see Moses and they say, this is the man that brought us out of Egypt. They see Moses gone and they say, let's not get an interim leader. Let's get another God. It's very dangerous to put man in that place. Keep going with me. Verse one, up, make us a God. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Verse two, so Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. One of the things that Israel would have picked up being in bondage in Egypt is if you're going to make a god, you have to make a god out of gold. The Egyptians did not have wood gods. The Egyptians would not have had paper mache gods. The Egyptians would have had gods that were made of gold. And if you're going to make a god, it has to be 
out of gold. Here's the interesting thing. The children of Israel only wanted another God when they got resources to do so. That's the only time they made another. When they were in bondage, when they were in slavery, they were not lusting after another God. When they were in bondage, they were not trying to make a golden calf. When they were in bondage, they were dependent and anticipating their God to save them. But once they got resources, once they got money, once they got gold, they said it is time for us to make another God. Let me come down your street. Be careful of getting that promotion and making it God. Be careful of praying for that relationship and making it God. Be careful of getting your bank account fat and making it God. Be careful of building that 401k plan and making it God. And that's, that is our golden gods. Our golden gods are the things that God has given us that are good and we've made them God. When the children of Israel didn't have anything. See, this is why I don't like the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel will never say, though when they got gold, they started to lust after another God. But when they didn't have anything, they were dependent. They were, they, were, they were hungry after God, but as soon as they got gold, they started to stray away. Here's the question you should be asking. Look back at verse, verse 3. This is the question I was asking. So it says this, verse 3. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Here's the question you should be asking. How do former slaves get gold? Like, you should be asking that. That's a legit question. You're telling me that they were in bondage in Egypt. God releases them out of bondage. He, he puts them on a path to get to the promised land. But in the, in, in the in-between of them being out of Egypt and getting to the promised land, where did they pick up gold? Here's what I love about the Bible. Scripture always interprets Scripture. Where did they get the gold from? Exodus chapter 12 tells us where they got the gold from. Here's how interesting God is. Like, I love God because God could have delivered Israel out of Egypt and been good. Like, that would have been gracious because they were in bondage. But he doesn't just do that. He delivers them out of Egypt and says, wait, 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 wait. Before you leave, there's three things I want you to get. Go to the Egyptians, get silver, get gold, and I want you to get fine clothes. And I want you to take those things as a gift. It was the favor of God. You don't believe me. Let me put Bible there. Exodus chapter 12. Y'all quiet, so I got to get in the scriptures a little bit more. I understand. Don't believe me. Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36 says this. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians, here it is, for silver, for gold jewelry, and for clothing. Please don't miss 36. And the Lord had given the people favor. Let me say that again. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So that they gave them whatever they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Before Israel left Egypt, God said, I'm going to favor you. Take silver. Take gold. Take clothes. This is my gift to you. This is favor upon you. Here's the interesting thing. The children of Israel took what was favored to them by God and they made it a God. Don't miss this. They made a God out of the things that God had favored them with. Let me say that again. They made a God out of the things that God had favored them with. They say the third time's a charm. They, 
They took the things of God that he favored them with and they made it a God. They didn't earn it. They didn't, they didn't deserve this gold. They could have left Egypt and it been okay. But no, God says, before you leave Egypt, I got to show you how much favor I got. Take the gold, take the silver, and take clothes. But here's what's interesting. They take it and they make a God out of it. And that is what we do. Some of you have promotions on your jobs and it was God's favor. You weren't qualified for the job. You didn't have the skill set for the job, but he favored you. And once you got God's favor, you made it a God. Some of you have prayed for that relationship and you ask God, I need the man of my dreams. I need the woman of my dreams. He finally gives you somebody and you're moving on the way to being married. But you took God's opportunity of favor and made it a God. Some of you have taken resources. You've asked and prayed for God to give you more so that you could sow more, so that you could pay bills and do the things you need to do. And you've taken God's favor and you made it a God. And so scripture shows us here that that is what they did. Here's the question. Where did your gold come from? Let me ask it this way. Where did your promotion come from? Where did that job increase come from? Where did your resources come from? Israel took God's favor that was on them from the Lord and made it a God. And before we get real, you know, high sedidian, we sit back and we be like, I would never do that. No, you would do that. You know how I know you would do that? Because you are doing that now. Many of us take the things that God has favored us with and made it a God. And gold is, is a whack God. Back in the day, we used to say it's a wiggity whack God. Gold just don't, like, it just don't make, it don't work. It can't ever be your God. Look back with me at, at the scriptures here. Verse number four. We'll end here in verse four. And he received the gold from their hand. He talking about Aaron. And Aaron fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Finally, verses one through three, what we saw was the people lusting after another God, asking for another God. Finally, in verse number four, Aaron takes their leadership, takes the gold, and he forms it into a golden calf. Finally, what we see is the breaking of the commandments, the breaking of the commandments by building a calf. But let me let me also push you not to just say this isn't just the breaking of the commandments. This is the breaking of the first two commandments. You guys remember the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, I think it's verse number three, where it says you shall have no other gods before me. Well, they broke that by making a calf a god. Second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself a carven image. Well, they broke that by making a carven image in the form of a golden calf. And here's what's interesting. Like I said to you in the beginning of this sermon, it's one thing if Moses gets the law but doesn't tell the people. But Exodus chapter 24 shows us that the people receive everything that Moses says. Here's what it says. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Problem is, eight, chapter, eight chapters later, they break the first two commandments. This is why works-based salvation would never work. It just doesn't. You know why works-based salvation doesn't work? Because it says, as long as I keep the rules, me and God are cool. And, and you know, what we do is, like, let's be honest. We family in here. This is what we do. We say, God, I know you gave me ten. If I keep nine, you'll forgive the one. I'll keep nine. You know, I missed one and it's okay. The problem is God doesn't accept 90s on the test. God accepts hundreds and hundreds alone. Not to mention, 
if you've got a 90 on the test in your mind, you failed at one, doesn't the New Testament say if you fail at one part of the law, you're accountable for it all? So here's the reality. You didn't get a 90. You got a zero. Everybody in this room, I don't care if you think you are killing the list. You got a zero on the test. But here's the gospel. In the gospel, the Bible says that God, that Jesus Christ, there was not even deceit found in his mouth. In other words, he got a 100 on the test. And that's what I love about the Ten Commandments. They're, they're never given as a list that you got to keep. They're a list to show you that you can't keep them. And that is why we needed Jesus. Because Jesus spotlessly kept all of the law. He fulfilled all of the law. Thus, he got 100. But here's what's interesting. He goes to a cross and takes your zero. And in the midst of taking your zero, you stand before God with an A plus 100 holding it up like this. And God says, accept it. Not based on your grade, but based on the fact that Jesus gave you his grade. And Jesus stood on the cross. Back in the day, again, we used to say, you take an L. Jesus took an L for you. He took your zero. And get, please tell me somebody, if, you're, if you go to school in here, tell me somebody that you'll get a zero on the test. And they say, oh, I'm, you know, it's okay. I got 100. And give you their 100. Tell me somebody that will do that. But that is what the king of the universe did. He took your zero. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. God in Jesus Christ stood in your place condemned so that you could walk free. On the cross, the innocent was condemned for you. And on the cross, the guilty get to walk free. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're in here and you're like, Pastor, I, I understand. Okay, I understand now. I connect myself with Israel. I realize that I, too, break the commandments just like they broke them. What am I supposed to do? Now, I don't have time to preach it, but if you keep reading in Exodus 32, what you will see is that God is like, before Moses even gets down, God tells Moses what's going on. He says the people are acting crazy down there. The very definition of unfaithfulness is being unpacked down there. I'm going to kill them all. So what God says, in my anger, in my wrath, in my holiness, every one of them is going to die. But Moses becomes a mediator. Moses prays, and this is what he says. He says, God, if you kill them all, the Egyptians that are still alive will think you brought us out here to kill us. Thus, they'll question you. So God, the Bible says God relents of his anger because of a mediator. So if you've walked in this room and you got functional gods, you walked in this room and you got golden gods and functional saviors. Please know that we have a mediator and it is not Moses. It is a greater Moses called Jesus Christ. Jesus is standing on the right hand of the father and he is pleading. Lord, I know they was trifling this week, but God give them mercy. That sin that they committed this week, I died for it. We have a mediator in Jesus. Is anybody grateful for the mediator? In Jesus Christ. Substitutionary atonement. You should be on the cross because you broke the rules. But God was on the cross because you broke the rules. Like that is the gospel. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nothing spooky, but here's, man, I'm convinced that there are people in this room that have broken the, the law of God. And they've created these functional saviors. And some of you in this room, that is you. 
if you're, if you're really, really honest, you will say, I know I wouldn't say it out of my mouth, but I do have those things in my life that operate as idols, as gods with a little g. I'm going to pray for you this morning. If that's you, if you, were, if you could just be honest, nothing deep, nothing spooky, if you could be honest and say, that is me. I have operated in life with functional saviors. Would you slip your hand in the air? I see those hands. It's nothing to be ashamed about. I told the first service, my hand is up. There are things that God has favored and graced us to have, and we've made them God. There's more hands that should be up. If that's you, if your hand is up, can you do me another favor by a step of faith and being a little bold? If you could just come down to the altar. Again, I'm on this altar. I just want to pray with you. Come on. We've made functional saviors out of things that were good, out of things that God favored us with. We've made them our God. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. He doesn't want anything before him. I need to see people that genuinely want to repent. Say, God, I want to turn from these. Like these, these gods are not up to par. They're not on par with you. Like, it's crazy when I think about it. At the end of this verse, it legitimately said, these are your God, God's old Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Like, really? The golden calf brought you out of Egypt? The one that delivered you from Egypt was God and God alone. Father, I pray for every single person that was bold enough to come on this altar. I'm not naive. There are some sitting in the seat that have functional saviors. And I pray for us all in this room. Pray that you would expose and break down those functional saviors and those gods. Father, we won't legitimately build a calf, but we build idols out of our promotions. We build idols out of our degrees. We build idols out of our resources. Break us down today. Forgive us, God, because you have been good to us. You have graced us. You have favored us, but we've taken it, Lord, and made it ultimate. And as a consequence, we walk around, and instead of consulting you as our king, we consult everything else. Forgive us, God. I thank you for the repentance that is on this altar. I thank you for the hearts that are on this altar legitimately turning away. But I pray that you would help us to realize that this moment will happen again. Because functional gods always want to creep up. Things always want to replace you. Forgive us for looking at the shiny objects of the world and making them God. Father, help us to realize we're not disconnected from this text. Sometimes we look at this and be like, I can't believe them. No, I can't believe us. We thank you that we can come to you. You tell us, Lord, that we repent and confess you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, sometimes I think when it comes to functional gods, because we're not outwardly sinning, because it's not what we would say, quote unquote, big sins, we think it's not a big deal. But Father, you want all of us. You don't, you don't want to shit like you don't sit on a council of other gods. You do not want part of us. You want all of us. And so forgive us, Lord. So I thank you for every person that's on this altar. Pray that you would receive their heart of repentance. 
and help us to turn to the one and true living God that has shown himself well through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.